0: Hey, this is Jason and Ginger from the Squeezing Lemons podcast, where we tackle life's social, emotional, and identity lemons. As mixed race people ourselves, we listen to Militantly Mixed to feel a sense of community and learn how our experiences overlap. You can check out season two, episode 15 of Squeezing Lemons to hear Mixed Girl Maine switch into the role as our guest. We weigh in on our vice president-elect, Kamala Harris's mixed race identity. That's right. You can find us on Squeeze and Lemons on your favorite streaming platform. And don't forget to be
1: your, your mixed, mixed
0: ass, ass self. Yeah. All right. This is a Main hustle media podcast. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed race bisexual, polyamorous atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, mask making, Gulf Coast Cosmos, comic book co-owning, and now... Asian American Podcaster's Golden Crane Award-winning podcaster in this podcasting game. This is episode 121, and it is the first episode of 2021, which is dope. And it's going to be a long episode, I have to apologize in advance, but the conversation that I had i with today's guest, I culled it down as much as I could, but there was just so much good content. And typically, this audience does not listen to two-parters, so I had to get it all into one. Uh, I'll try to keep my intro short, but this is a really great episode. So update from last week, I had announced that Militantly Mix had been nominated for the Asian American Podcasters Golden Crane Awards. Uh, we were nominated in uh, three categories, Best Cover Art, Best Racial Conversations, and um, Best interview. And uh, we had a virtual award ceremony on December 29th. And I was really surprised to receive an award, but we did. We, we won one. We won um, the best cover art. And during my acceptance speech, I got a chance to explain the story behind changing the logo in 2020 um, and how emotional of an experience that was. Uh, learning about how a symbol can be problematic to people um, and empowering to others. And just coming to terms with not wanting to inflict that kind of harm on people, even if I might find myself enjoying or empowered by a symbol, which actually made winning the cover art category so much more, it it was like the most personal of all of the possible categories. I wasn't really expecting to be so emotional about that, but I really was. Last year... when it came to my attention through that dm on instagram that the logo was having that impact on people i i, I went through it like it was a um, it was really emotional both to realize that that i had inadvertently been promoting something a symbol that it causes harm to other non-japanese Asians and also That even me, even I, who tried to be very careful about things like this, found myself unaware. Dealing with loving something that is also hurtful to others, there was, and still, some things going on with me there, too. And then, of course, making the decision to change. And as quickly as I did, I I pretty much, by the end of my conversation, I knew I was going to be changing it, um, but it didn't make it less emotional, less difficult. So it really means a lot. <laughs> so weird to think that awards can mean a lot, but it really meant a lot, specifically winning the cover art category, given what I went through with the cover art in 2020. So I, it's exciting because I can always say that Militantly Mix won a podcasting award and that actually opens a, a whole lot of new kinds of doors for this show. I did talk a little bit last week too about. Um, Asian validation, this space in which I don't often feel that I can comfortably lay claim to because I spent a big portion of my life sort of not being accepted for my full mixed picture, um, both in being raised where I had to hide my Blackness from my Japanese family, and then trying to connect to Asian groups and not feeling Asian enough to do that. I even said at some point during my acceptance speech, you know, I have felt like too mixed to be Asian to American, to be Asian. And the, what was really cool about having a virtual award show was that the chat room was available. And so people just started, God damn it. <laughs> uh, people just started filling up the chat room with like, you know, you're one of us, you're part of the family, you're, you're Asian too. Don't discount your Asianness because you're mixed, you know, mixed is full those are some of the messages that I remember seeing. And it, uh, (laughs) you know, I talked about it a lot on previous episodes and and actually my guest and I today talk about it as well. Where Asian-ness is concerned, I do tend to need a little bit more validation because I am uh, pretty easily accepted in, in black spaces. You know, I grew up predominantly black. I grew up identifying as black despite my appearance. And um, I, I don't really ever have to fight too often for my blackness. And in my whiteness, I don't really fight for that at all because I don't, I'll never accidentally have a white experience, even though I'm technically ethnically half white. So with the Japanese side with the Asian side where I literally the people that I'm related to are telling me I can't tell other people that I'm black um, i I really struggle with my Asian identity um, I don't hide from it I'm proud of it I tell people about it there's aspects of Japanese culture that I that is a very big part of my everyday life but when you get a room full of people filling up your chat screen, telling you that you're one of them when you normally don't feel like one of them, uh, it, it, was, it was awesome. It was super validating and it really made getting that award so much sweeter. I've also now been in contact with way more Asian podcasters. I, I'm a member of Asian American Podcasting Association, but I I kind of dip in and dip out. I try not to go too heavy because I get, I'm trying to like stave off that potential um, invalidation that I've experienced before. But this experience has taught me that, you know, it doesn't mean that I haven't been invalidated in the past, but I don't have to enter every Asian space assuming I'm going to be invalidated. And with the welcome that I received, by um, my fellow nominees and the other winners, uh, and of course the organization as a whole, I I like uh, this week. I've turned a major corner in um, my own comfort and willingness to engage in Asian spaces. So um, it's very meaningful. It's very exciting. And if you have seen the artwork on the social media posts lately, uh, they gave me you know some pictures to, to show the win and the and the nomination and everything like that too so big old big old thank you to Asian American Podcasting Association for acknowledging the show and for um giving me the award cuz that was really dope and it's, it's really meaningful getting this specific award that we got because there was a lot of me and there is a lot of me in that logo and there's a lot of difficult conversations and pain and uh, realizations and stuff all tied up into that logo. So it, it, it means a lot. And like I said, since then I've connected with a lot of other Asian American podcasters. I've had some really good conversations so far and it's just been awesome. I Again, I pr- I've tried to say that this is going to be a short intro, but I guess it's not going to be. Um, my guest today is Asian Sof, who you've seen on the 12 Days of Mixedness and who you've also heard and seen on the live streams for Activism While Mixed. Uh, she is just a dope ass mixed Asian person that is out here on the streets being an activator, getting people involved. She's involved in Yellow Peril for Black Lives. She has participated in many of the Black Lives Matter marches here in Los Angeles. Uh, she is a moderator on Mixed Present social media accounts and um, also her own personal Mixed Maid. All of these will be linked in the show notes. She's always doing something in Mixedness. We're, we, we have a lot of shared um, acquaintances and friends, and this is the first time that we're specifically dedicating an episode to her, although she has been on the show in different ways over the last couple of years. And I think she's dope. She's just a really supportive person. She does a lot of work for mixed people. And she's also one of the people that sort of inspires me in that, like, get your face up in Asian spaces, like, you know, just get in there. So I really appreciate her and all she's doing. So I'm really glad to have her on the on the show. The problem is that we ended up talking for like two and a half hours. So I culled down the episode as much as I could, but still kept all of the, the big meaty parts of the content in there. So I do hope you stay till the end and listen and enjoy it. But before we do that, uh, before we jump on over to Asian, so if I, I do just want to make the announcement that uh, we are returning to the live streams here in January. I didn't do one in November because I was on the mental health hiatus and then didn't make sense to try to throw one together for December because it was such a chaotic month. But we're back to regular scheduled programming. So we are doing a live stream on the third Thursday of January, which I think is the 21st. And we're going to be talking to a couple of organizers for mixed race student unions at various universities, some of which you've heard from before. So mark your calendars for the live stream. You'll be able to see it on YouTube and Facebook live on January 21st at 5.30 p.m. Pacific time, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. And lastly, as you all know, Militantly Mix is a fan sponsored podcast. And while I am trying to make efforts to find other ways of financing this show, uh, we took a really big hit towards the end of 2020 in terms of the regular sponsorship. And, um, it's going to take some effort to build that back up. I'm also trying to move more mask products so that I can put some of that money into Militantly Mix because it's just on the cusp of being difficult to afford all of the things that I have to do with Militantly Mixed. So if you would like to sponsor the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Militantly Mixed. There's also a link in the show notes to that. And you can sponsor the show as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish on a monthly subscription, or you can do a whole annual subscription in which you save a little bit. You get some discount knocked off for um, paying in advance and doing an entire year's worth of sponsorship. There's different reward levels depending on what you choose. And occasionally I send out other things here and there anyway, beyond the rewards thing, because I know some of you have been supporting me for about two and a half years at this point, And it's really meaningful. And I want to make sure that you feel that you're getting, um, you know, something for your book. Yeah, I think that's it. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you all are recovering from the holiday season and ready to get back to work and start 2021 off. You know, we're still not out of the woods yet with respect to the pandemic. Uh, While the vaccine is starting to be issued, it's going to take a while to work its way around to everybody else. And so you still need to be wearing your mask and social distancing, reducing in-person engagements as much as possible. Be safe so that we can start to go back outside again. For selfish reasons, I want that to happen so that I can open my store in August. (laughs) But for global reasons, I just want all of us to be able to go back outside again. So please, please, please keep yourself healthy and safe and do your part for the village as a whole. And without further ado, please join me in welcoming back one of our cousins to the Militantly Mixed Podcast, Asian Soph. Even though uh, you have been on the live stream and people have heard your voice and you're on the 12 Days of Mixedness, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and let's get into it.
2: What's up? I'm Asian So. (laughs) (laughs) I am an admin on the Mixed Present page, M I X E D p-r-e-s-e-n-t mixed present just spelled the way it is (laughs) um I don't know why I spelled that I also have another page called mixed made mixed underscore made activist advocate activator all those things um very in big into um the fight for social justice education uh have a lot of political rants that I do on my Instagram stories and just eater of
0: very large burgers on Instagram destroyer of burgers yes
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um
0: and just all around bad bitch <laughs> i fucking love you you don't understand how much i enjoy you um well it's not like i ha- i don't develop a lot of relationships through the process of militantly makes. like of course i do but you're just one person that i absolutely love and when you pop through my scroll or something like that i definitely stop every time to either watch you destroy a burger or you know your myspace posts <laughs> that you've been doing and, and then also, of course, all your activism work like I just you're just someone I really enjoy. So I'm glad to keep you in any way that I can grab you back into the show and things like that. I, I enjoy because you're dope.
2: You're so sweet. And we should shout out <laughs> Nat from Some
0: Kind of Brown Podcast for right. uh, actually hooking us connect, up in the first place. Us. So this is, what, yeah. two years ago that um, uh, Natalie on on her show was doing the Asian American and Pacific Islander Month. And we were on separate episodes in the month, but we spanned the whole month, right? Is that how that went down? Yes. It's been yes. a couple of years. But because of her, you and I connected and um, and I really... I just really enjoy you. I think you're dope.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you. I think you're dope too. I mean, you do a lot of really great things. I love that you have your comic book business. Yeah. And like all the projects and stuff you put out. And like, I think that it's really dope too that you, you know, go out of your way to like showcase lots of different people and all that. That's awesome.
0: I think obviously what binds us is that we're doing similar kinds of work that our mixedness is at the forefront of a lot of the things that we do. So in that respect, I think we, we get along a lot too. You're just a fun person. So let's get into it. Let's talk about you. So I have recorded with you before and portions of that recording ended up on episodes, but we didn't do like a straight up like regular ass militantly mixed episode with you. So um, it's going to be weird because I feel like I know you better than I know most people that are on this show. I don't know what to ask you because I know shit about you already. Oh, uh,
2: what, what do the people want to know? <laughs>
0: what do the people want to know? Um, well, the things that people tend to really enjoy hearing is, you know, first of all, like what your ethnic background is and how, how growing up was ends up being a little bit of a thing that we, we like to get into, but then also just like how your mixedness is like me, like at the forefront of so many of the things you do, like, why is it important to you? Yeah. Well,
2: I am mixed, um, I'm half Japanese and I'm also German, Scottish and Welsh. Although I did a 23andMe and I ended up kind of a little bit more all over the place. So it's a little bit. So now I don't know what to say I am, but like I am 50 percent Asian and 50 percent European. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah, the ancestry stuff will fuck you up because my mom's side whiteness. They've always thought they were like German, Irish, Appalachian people. They are Appalachian people, but they are like 100 percent british like yeah they've been here since the 1700s so they were here before america was formed and all that kind of stuff um early adopters of the colonizer and uh and then my dad's side my grandmother is from england and she is half welsh half english so literally my whiteness is the same on both sides of the family it's just one is 300 years ago and one of them is more recent so it's, it's weird how that ancestry will fuck you up. But does it change? Because sometimes they give me French and then they take it away. Or they give me Scandinavian and then they take it away.
2: Yes. I'm like, can <laughs> we just decide? Because my mom is German. like, if you saw this lady, she is six <laughs> feet tall, blonde hair, blue eyes, white skin. She is German, right? But like you get 50% <laughs> from one parent and 50% from another. So I got the 50% European. I only got about less than 10% German from that lady, though. It's so Um, wild. The the majority of it was like, it was like Northern European, but like most of it was British. And I know that, you know, I think that they lump like Scotland, Wales, all that in there. And I know that I'm Scottish and Welsh. So that all makes a lot of sense. But then they trace your family back as well, too. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of dings for London and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But
0: I'm going to just say I'm German, Scottish and Welsh. Um, I mean, also, I think that's where culture comes into play, like how we were raised up. So it's really hard for me to claim the Appalachian side because I didn't know any of them. I met my grandfather a handful of times and then he was gone. So the British stuff is easy for me to claim because my Nana lived with us for a period of time. So like I'm your tea snob. And I'm a tea snob. <laughs> Keep calm and drink tea. Yeah, the 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 phrase uh, "put the kettle on love" was a big phrase growing up. So mm. you don't you don't come into this house without me putting the kettle on, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
2: I love it so much. Although I I I. I know uh, like people from the UK in general, they're big about putting milk and stuff in their tea. And I still can't like I'll drink black tea. I'll drink breakfast tea. Like I'll drink it all. You know what I mean? I like I like any kind of tea. Mm -hmm. I just can't put things in it. It,
0: like Even honey. Sometimes I'm like, oh. So if I'm drinking a British tea, I drink it British style. I got the like in fact that's what is in this cup. Oh, You can't see it because it won't pick up the color but there i promise you there's um there's do you eat it with a biscuit um if if it's the time of day so it's like it depends on what time of day it is how i do things um if i'm drinking if i'm drinking like japanese tea i do different things so i either have my loose leaf green tea or i have my matcha and my little kit and stuff like that um and you don't put shit in that like Every time I see someone put something in their green tea or they like sweeten green tea or they put milk in it or something like that, I want to... Beat them within an inch of their lives. <laughs> like it's disrespectful to the beat ancestors. them with the kettle. Like you know, I can't like give me my bin and I'm just like, bah, bah, bah. but like yeah, I can't I can't do it for the green tea at all. But for I am like totally snobbish about the way I drink my my black tea. I have it sent to me from England because I'm stupid. There's a particular I mean, tea shop that I like in London that I ship stuff from. So you know, like I save up my money and I pay my stupid thirty five dollars on shipping and and I get it once once or twice a year, depending on when I'm flush with cash. But yeah, I, so I do. Uh, The difference though, is that some Brits pour their tea into milk and I pour my milk into tea. So depending on who family members I'm around, I'm either disrespecting the way we make tea or something like that. So my Australian cousin, who is also like me, where my my grandmother and his grandmother are sisters they grew up in australia though i grew up here he and i drink our tea the exact same way but our family makes fun of us for it so i don't know if it's because we didn't grow up in in england or what but um i think it tastes weird when you pour the tea into the milk i like the way it tastes when you pour the milk into the tea it literally changes it and if we ever do get to see each other in person I will show you
2: isn't it crazy that we've never seen each other I person? know because I
0: feel like we like know each other kind of <laughs> we live near each other <laughs> we, right? we do like you were you used to work like
2: real super close to where I live <laughs> I, I still work there oh you yeah. do yeah yeah I still that's work. that's so there. funny oh um, yeah and I'm yeah. in, in Sawtell all the
0: time Well, if you're next time, just we'll we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll do the six feet. We'll shout at each other from across.
1: Like,
0: I mean, we got Japanese voices, right? So we're either super loud or super whisper. There's no middle. So we can. Oh no, I'm just always super loud. (laughs) I don't have that. So my, my, my husband will tell me like, he either is telling me to stop screaming or he's telling me to speak up because I have, I have no middle. I'm entire, like, even the way I sit from my mic, I'm far from my mic because of how loud my voice is and how much I peak my my levels. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I yeah, we can just be 12 feet apart, but it'll sound like we're sitting right next to each other. We'll be fine.
2: It'll be good. No, I love it. Um, have you had uh, I assume you have because you live in Sawtel, Sujita, L.A.? Mm hmm. I love that place. That place has good noodles. I like killer noodle too, but like to LA, I was like, Oh yes. Yeah. That, that skim and ramen is. Yeah. There
0: it's, it's the, this is the first time I've actually lived near a Japanese community and it has been so nice to be able to not wait six months for a package from my grandma, you know, with all my foods in it and that I could just go down the street. Um, it's been, it's been nice, uh, to either shop there or to go to ramen there. Like I haven't had that before. So I really, I really love being this close to that part of town. That being said, I don't feel
2: Japanese when I'm there. I think the reason why I like living in LA is because, you know, you meet people who are, I say it all the time, fourth generation Asians. And I've yeah. just not growing up all the Asians, all of our parents came from Asia. Yeah. So It it, it's so it's it really actually feels Asian American. I think when you're mixed, you already have a sense of being like, like yes, my father immigrated here, but I don't necessarily feel like the child of
0: an immigrant type of thing.
2: Yeah, not always. Like I feel I feel like because I'm mixed, it I'm definitely more Asian American. Like I associate more with that identity more Mm -hmm. than just Asian daughter of immigrant maybe that's Um, my
0: problem because my grandmother is my Japanese family but I lived with her because my mom wasn't a very good mom so I think of my grandma the way I would think of a parent I think my aunt and my grandmother took care of me the most so I feel like a child of an immigrant even though I'm second generation for her um Mm -hmm. and so like we did Japanese things all the time and it's just that when i do it on my own if i don't have her there i'm just like hi <laughs> i'm here too like do you feel like 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 that imposter syndrome kind of big when i'm around like japanese and big mess population yes except for when i'm in san francisco if i'm in san francisco i feel like It's fine. I'm one of you guys. I'm just a little less than you. (laughs) Um, But here in L.A., I haven't I haven't quite hit that. Although the people at the um, Janum Museum, when they have their HAPA events or their Hafu events, I really do like. That's where it feels good. Covid
2: has ruined everything. It has ruined it. I was so it. looking forward to, to uh, I was so looking forward to being like a part of the community. I was I've so long wanted to live like near a Japanese-American community. Mm-hmm. And like now we're in the Japanese-American community. I live to a stone's throw, th- a stone's throw, a stone's throw
0: from Little <laughs> Tokyo. And yeah. I'm just I live right near the Janum and I'm like and you can't do it yeah Confined. i will say like there was been a few times that i've been moved to like like showing emotion in front of people which is something i'm working on um, that uh like when i i flew out here for hopa fest in 2014 i was invited to 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 come review somebody's uh film and stuff like that and it was my first taste of it and i was just like oh this is nice that they made a little bit of room for us little mixed folks or whatever and then when I moved here, I got invited to one of their um, Black and Japanese War Bride, Children of War Bride um, events. And that was the first time I was in a room full of, like, Black Japanese people. And I was like, oh, these are the people I look like. Because before then, I'm like, who the fuck do I look like I besides Dominicans? And then, like, there was these professors and there's authors and all these people that were, like, Black Japanese or married to like Japanese women that were married to black soldiers. And I was just like, oh my God, I see people that like look like me. And the fact that they even made space at a Japanese museum for black Japanese, like it was tough for me not to cry the whole day. Like it was I so bet. crazy emotional. Um, because, and given like, I know how you grew up too, yeah. where you couldn't even say you were black. Right. Crazy. It was wild. So I actually went to, up to somebody and I was like, you know, because he looked, Japanese. He looked like a you know little old hunched over Japanese guy, but he was dark. And um, I looked at him, and I, I walked up to him, and I was like, when I heard his story, I was like, I cannot tell you. I have never met people like me before. You know, like I just never have, um, besides people that I'm related to. And I'm just like, it was. I said, I don't I, I don't know how to process seeing you. But like if I write you a letter in a couple of months, I just want you to know, like it's I'm this person who needs to tell you how I feel about you. <laughs> I love it um, because it was so fucking wild. But um, so that's been a great thing. But with covid not being able to do any of the Janum events um, <sighs> and even like getting access to aspects of so you and I both don't have the internment history of, of our family. So we're like a different kind of Japanese American because we were like after the internment generation. So it feels weird to try to learn those things and, and feel a connection Mm -hmm. to people that we didn't actually share like a generational experience with them. It's, it's. Yeah.
2: Well, I think for me, you know, when you are in the activism space, you know, regardless of whether you experience something or not, like you can still be an ally to it and you can still be compassionate for it and Mm -hmm. stuff. And like, I remember like my dad, you know, fresh off the boat, man, he's just like, I don't understand your... Because I, from a young age, was educating myself on the internment camps, Mm -hmm. World War II propaganda, Mm -hmm. how the Japanese were treated, all that stuff. I read a book in fifth grade that I did a book report on and I did a whole presentation about it called A Jar of Dreams. And it was about the Japanese American experience in California during that time and the discrimination that Japanese Americans faced. And I was Mm -hmm. really like, my dad couldn't understand like why it bothered me so much, but I was like, at the end of the day they are. And at the end of the day, like we are all a part of the same diaspora. You know, we are all a part of the Asian diaspora and you know, we all have a connectedness, but also we all are any person who's a BIPOC person in this country Understands oppression or struggle in some sort of way. So that has been our connection with one another. And I think that that's why it's easy, at least for me. And I think also being mixed, having to naturally navigate multiple spaces in the first place makes it easier to weave those spaces and easily feel like, you know, I could be a part of it. I will say though, and I was thinking about this before, I was like, I wonder what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) But do you ever find yourself overcompensating? when you're around other Asians. Oh my Buddha. Like I've never talked about this out loud and
1: I've
0: been in therapy and now I I feel better about talking about it. I, I actually have mentioned it before that I noticed and I didn't notice it was happening. Actually, my husband was the one who pointed it out to me is that uh, we were at the grocery store. I got to the check counter and instantly I hunch over and I started speaking in a different way. Like, even though I'm speaking English, I was still speaking in my like Japanese tone or whatever. And, um, and you know, she would ask me questions. I'm like, mm, you know, like whatever. I'm doing all this stuff that is like coding as a kid that was raised in a Japanese house. And then I get my thing and, you know, I, I say thank you. And I start to walk out. And then as I am walking out of the door, my posture straightens up and my husband just starts busting up and I was like, what? And he's like, you physically code switched so hard just then. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you went from being like this to this and you were just like, crazy. you know, you know, like all that kind of stuff. He he was like, it was so crazy. And the second you walked out of the space, he straightened up. And mm-hmm. I noticed that even if I'm talking to other Asians that aren't necessarily Japanese I mimic my Japanese behavior that I have around, um, like my grandma and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do it with the, there's a Japanese lady at work that nobody understands, but me, because I'm used to hearing Japanese English sounds and how fast she speaks English, uh, English. Um, and, and so like, there's been people like I've, I've heard her and someone goes, do you know what just happened? And I was like, yeah, you guys don't. (laughs) So then I'm like translating for this poor lady when she's speaking English the whole time. But I do like, I go hardcore. Like I only call her by her last name. Like I don't, I never, I never call her by her first name or anything like that. My behavior towards her changes. Like I could be talking to a white person, a black person and her in the same room. And I'd be my, myself that I am right now. And then I would instantly hunch over to talk to her with my little Japanese tonation that I have it is wow. fucking weird but I also do it when I'm around other Asians too that aren't necessarily Japanese it is fucking bizarre Same. No I don't control.
2: physically change but I definitely like I must discuss how Asian I am with you right now <laughs> you know what I mean and yeah. I I I I have kind of realize that i've done this for a little bit of time now but you know i was really shaming myself for a while about it because i was like i constantly preach you have nothing to prove you are a whole <laughs> member and why are you doing you know and it's just and all that is all that is is negative self-judgment and i have learned if you're going to judge yourself negatively you're going to do it with other people mm-hmm. you need to be kind to yourself Because all of those behaviors come from something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think something... I don't physically change, and I absolutely refuse to talk softer. And I have, like, (laughs) cognizantly decided that. Um, But I also think the biggest difference is my Japanese parent was was a man.
0: Yeah. And
2: I feel like if my Japanese parent was a woman, it would have been completely, completely different.
0: I think you're right, because um, I... In every other respect, I do not do shit like that. But when it comes to the Japanese thing, I automatically go into like deferment mode, like whatever you need, what, you know, how can I assist you? My voice changes, my behavior changes. And it is, it's so weird because I, I, until, until my husband pointed it out that day, I know I must have been doing this the whole time, but until he pointed it out, I had no awareness I was doing it. And now I'm aware of it every time it happens. And it's all because he he pointed it out to me. Yes. Um, and I can't tell, like, is that me fighting for that little bit? Because same, you know, just like you said, I'm on this militantly mixed tip. I got my podcast. I'm telling everybody, be your mixed ass self. And then the second I get some kind of Japanese validation, I fucking go into crying mode. Like, what the yes. hell? <laughs> like- and
2: so, but then I am so, I was... Up the last time I was in Japan was really the first time that I really had this thought of like, because you already we already all have some sort of imposter syndrome, right? Right. Yeah. And then we're mixed on top of that. You yeah. know what I mean? And on top of that, immigrant families, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's so many layers, which I don't think unless you're within that kind of realm where you have some sort of a layer where you could really understand this, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to go to to go to go Japan and, and people there treat you like you're not Japanese because mm-hmm. you're hafu- and you don't look Japanese, and you're 5'8", and really muscular. And curly and, hair. Uh, yes. Oh, well, not so much right now. I need to wash it. But yeah. <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah, curly hair. And like my dad, my dad's funny because he, if he can speak English when we're in Japan, he's going to do it. Oh, really? I think that he just likes to practice. Like, I feel okay. like he's forever in practice mode. I've I he I, I've tried to talk to him about it, but he just doesn't know. He says it's hard for him to switch languages. Mm. Um, And then he said, I found out that trip that he's kind of like, because he kind of has a little bit of an accent now when he speaks Japanese. And he's like ashamed of it.
0: Yeah. So that happens to my grandma, too. It helps me understand a little bit, like how she could tell me I'm not Japanese. And also tell me, like, why do you want to know about this thing? Like it. It. It took that step for me to understand that she's not even viewed as Japanese anymore because she left. And mm-hmm. that's what I didn't understand nationalism versus ethnicity. Like I didn't understand it yes. back
1: then.
2: And um, belonging in Japan to the group is so, it's such a value there. So and important. like, It's, it's just like, it's so difficult. I think we talked about that in the live stream, like to have like, you know, the Western idea of, you know, take lead, speak your mind, be this person, be independent. But then to have this Eastern value of it's what's best for the group. The nail that sticks out gets hit with the hammer. Yeah. You know, it's not the squeaky wheel gets the oil. It's, it's the hammer, you know, and, and to have that like confliction and try to navigate those spaces and figure out what is, what is okay. when is so interesting, but it's also like, I think when you're mixed, you just realize, I think either way I want to do it is okay.
0: Yeah. Um, But that's tough for people.
1: Like, I mean, it's so
0: hard. Even even. even, Yes. Like you and I are out here on these mixed ass streets being our mixed ass selves. We are doing that shit on a regular. But there are these little weird ass trigger moments that fuck us up. And it's so funny because I can sit here with a guest of Military Mix and be like, no, fuck that. You do you. You be your whole that self. And then instantly be just just destroyed by the lack of inclusion on my Japanese side. Like we'll be fucking destroyed because it doesn't happen to me on the black side. Like even the one off time. And literally, if I think about it, it, it's had to have happened less than five times in my whole life where there was a black person who didn't accept my blackness or would put it in a pocket because it was mixed. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it just does not happen. Uh, I am black, regardless of what I look like. They accept me. I am black. I grew up black. They can tell. And it just seems so fucking clear to me that I'm Japanese too. Like I grew up in this lady's house. I speak very rough Japanese. I understand more than I speak. I, I eat things. I I drink things certain ways. Culturally, <laughs> you're like, I am this thing. I'm this thing. And, and to tell I me that I'm not hurts so fucking bad. And then on top of it to also be the fact that like my mom was mixed with white and they all knew that. But I'm mixed with black and we couldn't talk about it. How do you tell a little kid to understand that? Like, I may I'm on the Japanese side. I've spent so much of my life invalidated, whether it was invalidated as a Japanese or validated as a black person or mixed person that like, yeah, I have fucking baggage. And so there's times that it's going to be really tough for me. That being said, it doesn't happen that often to me on the black side. There's few times where I feel like imposter syndrome, but not often because I know I know who, how I grew up. I know who I grew up mm-hmm. around and stuff. I don't need it on the white side though. Like I just, I don't need it. Like I never, I never have craved being British enough, like, or whatever. The only time it kind of hurt a little was in England when I was with my white cousin and we're telling people we're cousins and people were like, but how? Like, it was the first time ever that I cared whether or not someone acknowledged. Ask your colonized ancestors. <laughs> you know i I was just like, Jesus, I don't understand why it's not as important, but it is on the Japanese side. And it is wild that even you and I would have these moments of, I try to tell people who feel that way too. Like, it's okay. I do it too. I have these little moments of yeah. invalidation too, but. Yeah, it is. It is really it's so hard to try to explain to people like, let's say, mixed people that grew up here that don't have an Asian side to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Trying to tell them what it's like to come from a culture that is that homogenous. Like they think white people are homogenous, but they they're not the same. They're not Japanese level homogenous. <laughs> like we are no. we're talking about no. people that have been wearing masks for a long ass time, not even with covid because they think about the community. It's this weird thing of like I want to take that really good thing about Japanese people for the for the community and translate it into my American space where it's like I'm it's okay to inconvenience me a little bit if it's going to be better for other people, but in not such a way that I comply so hard that I'm not an individual. Yeah. That that is confusing to American kids. Like you can't tell them what it's like unless they have an Asian family, you cannot tell them what it's like to comply, comply, comply in the house and not comply when you leave the door. Yeah.
2: Well, and also just in general, it's always about like consideration for others there. Like, I mean, even on the train, people don't eat or drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't talk on phones. People mm-hmm. sit very quiet Which with each lovely. other. Lovely. <laughs> and then my loud ass gets on and I... <laughs> You know, like, yeah, when all four of the siblings, me and my siblings are together, it's like a shit show. Because on top of that, you're getting stared
0: at. Like, if you're yeah. if you're not, you're getting stared at. Do um, you but all look, is it clear that you're all half Or do some of you look more Asian and some of you look more white? Little sister looks, if she's with us, everyone says it. They're like, you guys
2: all photograph and you can tell you're related. Mm. All of us look alike, but my little sister looks... Like she's full Asian. She's the only kid okay. with a monolid. Okay. She is. She is. I, so me, and my older sister, were five eight. My brother's six four. My brother is the only Goodness one who has gracious. a. Um, my brother's the only one who has a, a, bridge, a, a nose, bridge. A tall nose. A tall nose. T- <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs> tall nose. Um, uh, my brother's the only one who has, I always, I was like, Oh, it's his nose. It took yes. me years. I was in my twenties where I was like, that's what it is. He's the only one who got mom's nose. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. My brother has the white nose too. I have an Asian, me and all my sisters have Asian nose though. Um, yes, but, Oh, we all have like freckles, like a ton of freckles. I have like super curly hair, but my little sister, She she got giant boobs, but she is five three. She's ultra petite, a little bit more straighter hair and complete monolid. She she looks like she's full Asian.
0: That's so wild. Yeah, Yeah. it's like so interesting because for me, if I stand next to my brother, people think we are maybe related, but they don't think we're siblings and we don't look the same race. Like we don't look like we are even made up of the same uh, ethnic groups or anything. But if I stand oh. next to my black mixed cousins that are just black, white, biracial, people think I look like them. Mm. My brother is this weird anomaly because he got the white nose, the thin pencil line, two pieces of bologna stuck together. List. No! He's the only one. So my dad has two other kids, um, that are, instead of being Japanese, Uh-oh. they're Swiss, Italian, Mexican. They look mixed black, though. They look like me. So if I were to stand next to them, I don't know them. But if I were to stand next to them on the Instagrams, we we would look like siblings. But my brother is this weird outlier where he's got like the straight nose and these thin little pencil. We all got luscious, glorious lips, except for my my full brother. He's got two pieces of baloney stuck together.
2: Thank God me and all my siblings have lips. I just got (laughs) to say that. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, mine aren't like super voluptuous, but
0: they ain't no lie. And that's all that matters. I think they've thickened over time, but when he was little, he had like he had like the British lip. (laughs) I can't. He really did take out more after the white side. He just has darker skin than Mm. I am, than I have. He has the curly hair, though. I have the straight hair, the mostly straight hair. It's wavy. I have one B hair now. So super Asian, but wavy at the bottom. Except for right now, because I shave so it's all straight at the top right now. But that um, didn't start happening until about five or six years ago, I started having wavy hair. It is interesting, like how like your genes
2: can change over time. But um, yeah. yeah, like when uh, uh, to go back to the initial question, uh, like when I was in Japan, most recently, I couldn't go this past year, but the, I think the year before mm-hmm. um, I was out with uh, my dad and a bunch of his like former classmates and stuff. And uh, we were at dinner. And they just kind of kept saying things that were very... Oh, no. Problematic. They meant some as compliments. They were very... They were all very nice. I'm going to preface this with that. They brought... They all brought me gifts. And I was like, wow, you guys seriously... That is actually to? a pretty dope part of Japanese culture's presence. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you guys are so sweet. Like, what the hell? Like, amazing. And, like, I was having a great talk with everybody. Like, they were so nice. Um... And they just kept saying things like, oh, you're so great with chopsticks. Oh, my God. She can read the menu. Right. Oh, right. And and I just kept saying, I'm Japanese, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I told my dad about it afterwards because I was like, oh, yeah, they were nice. Yeah, they said some things that were weird. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I explained to him and he was like, what do you mean? Like, why is that weird? He doesn't
0: see that it's a pro Yeah.
2: I was like, dad. I grew up eating with chopsticks because I'm Japanese yeah. and he was like, Oh, I S I see. He was like kind of struggling with it though. And I was like, we had gone to Asakusa to buy like a bunch of gifts, right. A mm-hmm. uh, big tourist area of Tokyo. And, um, we were in one of the stalls and um I like asked the lady like how much something was, and then my dad, like a social butterfly he is, he was he got into a conversation with her, and then I just heard her say, like, oh, your Japanese is so good. And I just snapped over and I was like, He's Japanese, don't compliment him. Yeah. Like, uh, because I was like, I was, this man grew up
0: in Japan. And right. Of course this Japanese is good. That is but, what is so weird about Japanese. Like you yes. look mixed, he looks
2: Japanese Japanese,
0: because it's full (laughs) yes well actually I have like
2: Korean and like Mongolian and like native mixed with me and he's actually the one who has curly hair so he looks a little bit and he has like more olivey colored like complexion so I think my dad looks like a little bit I thought he was like he could be like Pacific Islander you know what I I mean yeah okay but at the same time like that was the first time I clocked that he did start to have like a bit of an accent when he spoke and that's why people mm, were saying it. I and my, my dad kept saying, I'm, yeah. I'm Japanese. Yeah. And then I was like, how did you feel when that lady said that to you? Like, he was like, oh, I don't think, you are know, very Japanese. Mm. Well, I don't think she meant it offensively. I was like, yeah.
0: but she told you but it you're hurt, not yeah.
2: Japanese because yeah. of your accent. And he was like, oh, I, I guess I can see what you're saying. And I was like, okay, what about this? I was was trying so hard to get him to understand. I was like, what about this? Did you know that people always tell Beatrix, my little sister, the one who looks like full Asian, wow, your English is so good. And he's like, I don't, why would they say that to her? She's was born in America. And I was like, exactly. (laughs) And he was like, Oh, Oh. I can see why that can be offensive. And I was like, dad, I've used chopsticks my whole life. Yeah. It's weird that someone would consider it a compliment to say, no matter their intention to say, oh, wow, you're so, you're so good with chopsticks. Yeah.
0: I mean, when you grow up doing something and it is definitely a part of the way you are, it would be like someone saying, oh, you breathe really well. Yeah, I'm still alive. Like it's literally something I have done since the day I was able to hold them. So yeah, I've gotten that one too. I think it is bizarre. It's really tough. I'm glad that you found little ways to do that with your dad because with my grandmother, I've not been able to have those moments of like, it never ends in, I get it it ends in a pat, a really heavy hand pat, like, okay, Shaman. Okay. Okay. I get it. That means we're not talking about it anymore. So it's really like when the people that you come from, when the person who is the reason why you're mixed the way you are invalidates you being a part of them, how are you going to get there? Like, yeah, like I'm lucky he- though. My dad doesn't, my dad is always,
2: I mean, I've said it before. He has always been, he loves, he loves, I don't want to say he loves having mixed kids. So that sounds so fetishizing, but he loves like, like I, I was praying at a shrine and I was doing the whole Buddhist. You have to do all these steps. There's lots of clapping, like all these things. <laughs> um, and I was uh, praying to this God at this shrine. And my dad was like, Oh, you just look so Japanese. I'm so envious. You can just float in between all the cultures and like, mm. you know, you're just a part of everything. And I was That's like, sweet, <laughs>
0: I've never had that. But then
2: he also doesn't understand like the activism stuff a lot of the time. Mm. But he was starting to, he's definitely starting to like, um, I think I talked about it on the live stream. Like he was like, you know, I noticed uh, Asians and Latinos are a lot nicer to me and patient than white people. That's a microaggression, right? And I was like, I was like, I was like, it's taken 15 years of my life, (laughs) but we've gotten here. We get there we've gotten here we've gotten our foot we've gotten a leg in the door yeah. you know what i mean and that's yeah. what's
0: exciting but yeah it is a bizarre aspect i think of i want to say that this is specific to japanese americans although because i don't know if uh, other asians that are here feel the same way but um because Japanese do assimilate and become wherever they're at, you know. My grandmother's American. She she married American. She came to American. She's American citizen. She's American now, as far as she's concerned. Um, that when people don't see them as Americans, it. it There's no way to explain that to them why they're not seen because they're not thinking about it in terms of race or ethnicity and things like that. So to um, to have those little moments of like, oh, they don't think I'm. American, and then be like, okay, now hold on to that. <laughs> you know how I always want to be Japanese? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I have not been able to really have that. And so that I think is the reason why I have more issues related to validation in my Asian-ness than not. I wanted to ask you- Because you get uh, less of it. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about this because I, so I'm a member of this uh, Japanese American group on facebook which is a mix of like super problematic posts and um and some things that are very you know like this is stuff that all japanese do like we all put sewing kits inside our cookie tins you know stuff like that but every now and then somebody is feeling very um american and and confused as to why they're not being treated like americans or whatever and so there was this post the other day that was basically Um, saying that they never thought of Naomi Osaka as um, Japanese anyway. And it was about an article about the mask that she was wearing, the Black Lives Matter masks, right? And so the article was entitled uh, Osaka gets her voice by wearing a mask or something. And it was about like her activism through wearing the mask during the she's during, amazing. She's I amazing. love her. My dad Obsessed. loves her so much too. Obsessed. So he's I, always
2: telling me my Japanese should be as good as hers. And I'm like, listen, sir.
0: It's <laughs> like she grew up. I'm there. doing all right. <laughs> you do what you can when you grow up in America. Um, so, uh, so he, the person posted it and they posted it with this thing. I never thought of her as Japanese anyway. And so already triggered, right? Like super triggered, black Japanese, super triggered. And I click on the the comments and I was like preparing myself for problems. You know, like I was just like, okay, it's going to be, there's going to be a few people that fight, but most of the people are going to be agreeing with this guy uh, because that's my been, that's been my experience. But every single post that I read and there were Close to 100 by the time I got in there, we're all chastising him for his racism. Yes. And I fucking weeped, like, seriously, weeped uncontrollably for a period of time because I had never seen, and I'm even getting a little itchy eyed thinking about it, I had never seen Japanese people in mass come to defense of mixed people of mixed Japanese. And that shit, I didn't know how bad I fucking needed to see that because I fucking bawled for like an hour. And Mm. then I finally got to a place where I could like post, like write my comment. Like I'm serious. Like the level of emotion was to the degree that it made me uncomfortable. And I was alone. (laughs) Like it's one thing to show emotion as a Japanese Brit in front of people still struggling with that. But I was by myself and I was uncomfortable with how emotional I was. And uh, so I finally get to the place that I could explain my situation, like as a black Japanese, whatever, Um, you know, I I, I even said like in this group, I see a lot of racial entitlement and stuff like that and racism and not often do people smack it down. I'm like, but I want to say that despite the fact that there is so much nastiness in this group, I'm here for the cultural connection. And I was like way overwhelmed and appreciative of the people who came, who who were even full Japanese, who came to the defense of, of Naomi. And I got adopted. <laughs> oh, my God. A lady, a lady saw my post and she started messaging me. And it turns out she's married to a black guy and her children are, are black Japanese as well. But because I had express myself she commented and then we started dming each other so now i have a little adopted japanese mom (laughs) i love that oh my god yeah i did not know i had i i think i did not know how badly i needed it like i needed to see a big group of jazz it's one thing for like you and i to jump on here and just like solidarity mix you know japanese whatever Mm -hmm. but like that was like a hundred people posting
2: to get it from a large group of other people, you know, especially when all the time BIPOC people are racially gaslit. I mean, it's at work it happens to me literally fucking constantly. And I oh, just I and it's it's just it's so it's so You're hard so to even exotic
0: like looking. You're so lucky. Best of both
2: worlds. I mean, forget even just that. It's like talking about anything and then having to be with Higher ups that are always not BIPOC people. Right, right. And just saying things like, well, we have to make sure everyone feels comfortable. And we have to make. Mm. You've had centuries You've of had making so everybody uncomfortable. <laughs> and now we. But the thing is, and then it's like, well, it's not my individual fault. And like, or I'm trying to share things. And I, and like, I get it. But I also. The thing is, in, in, I think it was 1969. James Baldwin was interviewed on, I think it was called the Dick Cavett show or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, and he was asked, well, what, what Dick had basically said was, you know, there's people who would say like, there's been so much progress. Like, can't you just be happy with it? Mm-hmm. And I think, and to say it in 1969 and to still like, and we're hearing it now. Yeah. And I think there is, this, you have to understand the duality space. And I think maybe being mixed is the reason why I understand this space so much. hmm There is a duality space when things are happening. We can't have this unprecedented moment of solidarity and action and allyship happening without the fact that there has been centuries of abuse and oppression and a reason why, and also centuries of amazing resistance and resilience and fight coming from BIPOC people. Yeah. We can acknowledge that this is a great moment that is happening, but we have to acknowledge the why. And we also have to acknowledge that there is a lot more room for improvement. Right. And, and, you know, at the same time, if you are so well-versed in the history of things, you already have an evolutionary response of distrust. Mm -hmm. Because how many times before have we seen things are going to get better? Mm -hmm. We're going to do this solidarity in action, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And we're still talking about the same shit. Yeah.
0: It's different conversations about the same shit, but it doesn't feel like there has been as much improvement as somebody who is not oppressed feels that there has been like, oh, you get to go to college now. Thanks. You get to drink out of the same water fountain. Thanks. You don't. You're not in an internment camp anymore. Thanks. Like, what are the things that I'm supposed to be so grateful about?
2: <laughs> why? Why did it have to be endured in the first place? Like, this, it's not progress to have people. Y'all are chilling here, and we're all the way back here. It's not progress that we're like here now. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Exactly. And you, you don't get gold stars for fixing things that were caused. By you, yeah. And I, what's what's tough though is like, if you're an ally, it should not bother you if you know that you are mm-hmm. an anti-racist. If you know, it should not yeah. bother you when someone says something to you, right? Try, I I've been really struggling, but like trying to explain like why I have to have a certain demeanor about things, why I have to, even trying to explain to people why it's bothersome to me that. I don't see other, I don't see BIPOC people represented the way that they need to be in major corporations, in the world, in mm-hmm. movies and stuff. Yeah. And, and some people want to be like, well, I, I don't need that representation. Maybe that's you. And, and that that comes from BIPOC people too. Yeah. But the, the issue is, is it's like, that is such an invalidating response, but at the same time, yeah. you might not need it, but
0: maybe you just don't realize it because we just endure. We're so used to not seeing it that we don't think it's important. But if you scroll through fucking TikTok and you see a little teeny tiny black girl holding a black Barbie for the first time going, she looks like me and I'm she's excited. Shit. You're sharing it and you're crying because you're like, I fucking understand that. You know, yeah. I mean, even I was on a podcast um, the other day where we were talking about Kamala Harris and I was saying like, even though I have complicated feelings about Kamala as a Californian and, and stuff like that, things that were happening in this state when she was here seeing her on that stage on the day that she that they did the acceptance that was seeing someone who looked like me even though we don't look quite the same that was the closest to seeing someone that looked like me at the highest you know one of the highest levels of office in this country that was fucking huge and it didn't matter in that moment that I have complicated feelings about her What mattered is that that was now an attainable thing that did not seem to be attainable until that time, until that day. So I'm that's why emotional. you know what I'm saying. Like even that that like I was sitting there because we were in the ho we we were in Yosemite, so we were in like a hotel room when it when they did the acceptance speech, and I had just had an edible too. So there was that. So there's like whole chunks of that <laughs> moment that were extra heightened because because I had had an edible, but it was <laughs> in nature, you know. Like, and in nature, we had just been in the Yosemite all day and stuff like that, and it was just happening. like twelve year old Charmaine would have been different if Kamala was vice president when I was 12. I'm not, you know, like it would have been different for me if I had believed that something like that was even possible. There were so many things, directions that I was going to go down that I was told actively by my own family not to try because they don't make room for us. When they could have encouraged me to try. And even if I had failed, I would have tried. You know what I'm saying? So now seeing Kamala there, like, Kamala tried. I wanted to go to law school too, but my family told me, no, don't do it. She did it. And look what she got. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. like, it is important. And I don't care if you're 43 like me, or 12 years old or six years old, seeing that moment, seeing that woman on that stage, accepting that seat was fucking important. It was important, um, whether we're mixed or not mixed or brown or not. Brown, like it was a huge moment. And I don't think that people who I mean, again, this goes against being like this Japanese mentality just because it won't help you seeing that representation doesn't mean it shouldn't happen because there's hundreds of thousands and possibly millions of people who do need to see that.
2: And if you do understand the history of why that even happens in the first place, Mm -hmm. it's, if you really understood, you would never say something like that. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't. You would not. And, And I think, I think that's the hardest part, like being an activist, like, it's so hard to bring that into a space that is outside of that sphere because Mm -hmm. you run into so much gaslighting. You run into so much, well, you're not making everyone feel comfortable. There's
0: literally no way to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this group comfortable right now. (laughs) Yeah. Like
2: it's so, it's, it's, and and to say like, (laughs) I just, I can't like, I'm, I'm trying not to like, everything out right now you could but go it's so results. like yeah but you know it's it's so invalidating and it's so hurtful mm-hmm. and when it comes from another BIPOC person yes. it hurts a it hurts lot more. more yeah it hurts and it,
0: an intense amount it's not even like it feels like betrayal it does because if a white person does it it's not even like dismissive in a way of where it's just like oh they're white they don't know it still fucking hurts and I'm still Obviously, I got work to do in this space if I'm going to put if I'm going to decide to put that kind of effort in. But when it comes from someone who is also from a category like mine and I'm sitting there going, are you really putting your own needs against everybody who looks like us? Like, is that really the the move? <laughs>
2: but a lot of it is social conditioning, right? You figure out how to survive. I've yeah. I've I've been in therapy, which is why I sound very like this right now. <laughs> you're going through but, <laughs> but yeah, well you just you and and you really I think once you really start analyzing things, then you're like, how much of what I do is dictated because of trauma and its yeah. survival instinct.
0: And that's hard to
2: come to terms with. It's very hard to come to terms with. And it's also hard to come to terms and navigate that. Mm-hmm. in today's society because so many people don't do that kind of work mm-hmm. and so many people want you to just be happy with the fact that you get to be in this spot right now yeah we give you that so yeah. accept it and it's like I can be appreciative of the hard work that I have put in into be here <laughs> exactly but there also needs to be a recognition of the fact that I know many others who put in hard work who are not here anymore right. right. Yeah, Because absolutely. of the barriers, the invisible barriers that everyone doesn't seem to know anything about, but I see really fucking clear. You know, a lot of us see really fucking clear.
0: It is still amazing to me, and I don't understand why this is something that I can see that's that people who feel this way don't see. But to believe that something's not different for somebody else is beyond baffling to me that's never happened to me. So it doesn't exist. How do you think that is possible? There are 7 billion people on this planet. You're going to tell me that 7 billion people are experiencing life the same way.
2: That's dumb. None of us are monoliths and that goes for white people too. Nobody is a monolith. Yeah. And, and the simple fact that like, we have developed a culture that lives off of stereotypes, mm-hmm. false, false, like fucking bullshit history nonsense. And these weird narratives of like, we all have the same 24 hours and, you know, oh, you got to yes. work smarter, not harder. And yeah, blah, 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 blah. like, you know what? At the end of the day, there is a fuck ton of people in this country who were born on third fucking base and really think that they hit a freaking triple. Yeah. Spend their whole lives
0: thinking right. that yeah Our former president was like that, so I mean, it there's so many there's so many times, and because I've worked in corporate and tech and things like that, and when I see that kind of belief in people, and I'm just like, even if you just look at the demographics of the people in this room right now, kind of a thing, like in the office, whatever it is, what are you seeing? How are you telling me that everybody has this the equal playing field? If I'm the only brown, the only queer? And the only woman in this room—that's not—that's does if it was equal, like this is one thing that I do hold to um, with the uh, RBG, the until there are nine, until it is possible that the entire room of this organization or whatever this space is all black, all Asian, all queer, all female, until it is just as possible as that happening as it is all white male, then no, you can't say shit. Like we all have the same 24 hours or we all born, you know, with the same amount of access and stuff like that.
2: None and of us get small, small hundred thousand million dollar loans from our parents. like Right. To start no. our company. Yeah. Like that's He's not. A- the fuck out of here. Yeah. And I think just the thing is, it's like, it's so, uh, yeah. And then, and then just lack of representation as it is and, and trying to figure out who you are and define yourself in lots, lots of different ways. And because people don't see all different kinds of people be a certain way, it's, it's really difficult. And I think that, that, that for me, it's been, I, I get told I'm intense a lot, like, mm-hmm. cause I am really loud and I am, but I also don't think until Aquafina, how many loud Asian personalities were there? that Americans could see yeah that Americans could see yeah no and that's if they saw crazy rich Asians yeah and I think the thing is it's because no one knew who she was beforehand but I knew her from her my vag video which (laughs) was amazing you should watch that (laughs) Okay. you should you should watch it she, she's like a rapper like a like she makes like funny raps and stuff so she had one called my Badge and it was so good like it's funny <laughs> but apparently got her fired from her day job but then she went and pursued acting but like the thing is it's like until i saw her in crazy rich Asians, i had never seen an asian girl like me mm.
0: oh ever like in that's anything. fair yeah because i i think of Even though I think of my loudness coming from my Japanese side, it is thought of as because I'm black that I have as loud a voice as I do. But this is this is 100 percent a Japanese loud tone. Mm. I grew up watching all the shit where like emotions (laughs) went from flat to here, like in one second. Yes. Yeah.
2: And yeah, I just think for anyone who's thinking like representation is not important, it is in all aspects of the world. And I just think that that's why it's, I always say, and I got asked, I just don't know what you mean by this. (laughs) also at work, I got, I, where I I just want to be able to be myself. Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to explain that phrase to someone who doesn't inherently already understand it or has condition themselves to not understand it. It is hard to explain and I'm getting emotional just even thinking about it, yeah. but it's it it's a, a very difficult feeling.
0: When you start to realize how often you try to ad- adapt for other people like again as as Japanese we do tend to have like deference as a big part of our culture so it's something that we kind of do, but when I'm saying something like I have a loud Japanese voice. That's a way of me kind of saying, sorry, even though I'm not, I don't want to be doing that. Like, you know, I used to make a joke and I still think it's funny, even though it's horrible, but I had made this joke for years that I'm either 15 minutes early or a half an hour late because I'm black and Japanese. You know, like I was playing into the stereotypes that I was learning, you know, from my environment, from the people that I grew up with. And that instead of associating it with the people, like the individual person that I was learning the lessons from, I was associating it with the ethnic groups that, you know, because that is, that is, I think, probably a very human nature type of thing to do. I would make jokes about having a camera everywhere I went because I was Japanese. And, you know, there are some stereotypes that come from things that people get to see regularly, but there, but it doesn't mean that it, it I had to play into them as hard as I did, but I did because I was trying to find ways of being accepted. And I didn't even realize what it was I was doing. I didn't even realize what harm I was causing mm-hmm. myself until I started to deal with those things. And then it was like, well, fuck, like, I don't want to use my ethnic groups to explain why I've just done something. That's weird that I do that. It, But it took me having conversations about it to point it out. Because until then, I just thought I was doing what people did. Yeah. And I think,
2: again, it's that mixed layer, too, where you're just trying to find. And and also that lack of representation layer mm-hmm. where you're just trying to find your, your people. Mm-hmm. But it's okay to know that we're not a monolith, but they're still my, you know what I mean? Yeah. That like, you know, you ever walk into like a Japanese like restaurant or like a bakery or like something and you just like feel like, oh
0: yes like absolutely. embrace this is like, my
2: spot yeah you know or just to be or to feel like just anything like it, it, it it's nice it, I don't it's nice to feel accepted when it's already like mixed people are like not are made to feel like you like it's such a non-problem that you guys feel like you're in between yeah the thing is, is, is okay, when well, we're not talking about it, we don't know how to handle it. And then it leads to situations like we have where we're overcompensating for, where it's like, I almost need to, I need to prove to you how Asian I am and how much I know and how much I, you know, and it's like, why?
0: Yeah, that is definitely, it's certainly a mixed kid play. I think it's also a, um, you know, immigrant, immigrant <laughs> story immigrant. as well. Um, You know, we're, we're, even if we have like, you had more access to language than I had, but even that you're blocked to a degree because someone's going to compliment you on your Japanese, which is ridiculous because you're like, I speak this. Why are you complimenting me on this thing that I already do? You know, like there, it reminds me that mine, mine could be better. (laughs) Well, sure. But like literally everybody's could be better. Our English could be better, you know, as, as native speakers, you know what I'm saying? So. Actually, there was this one thing that I saw and it was a a linguist um, who had posted about it and they were explaining how like a native speaker can't be ungrammatical (laughs) because that's the way you speak the language you speak. So even if like it's informal, it doesn't matter because we're fucking humans. How often do we need to be super formal? What is the purpose of being formal versus being informal, if you're going to call it that. Naturally, you wouldn't talk in the way that we're classifying as professional or formal or whatever. So to do that is false. So however we speak the languages that we've learned, that is how we do it. I mean, you're more fluent in both than, than I would be. So for me, that would carry in the English and not the Japanese necessarily, because I got a lot to learn. But like you can hold conversations. I can insert words <laughs> and like the occasional phrase or something like that, yeah. you know? Um, so in my do you opinion, feel,
2: do you feel like, do you feel like you shame yourself about that? Uh,
0: I do, but I also understand that I, the barrier that I had to language was that my, the military told my Japanese grandmother not to teach her kids Japanese because it'll confuse their half-breed brains. This was the fifties. And so they convinced her Her kids would be, their brains would go bad if they learned both languages. As she has been a bilingual person, they have convinced her it's bad for your children. So she didn't speak Japanese to them. Even when they lived in Japan, she didn't speak Japanese to them as much. So by the time I roll around, she's still in that. Thing. So I understand that my barrier to this language is the fact that my grandmother was convinced that it was bad for me. Uh, as I started taking Japanese in college, she wouldn't help me. It wasn't until my 30s when I started to just try to insert Japanese more frequently in our conversations that she actually started to be more helpful or even like correct a pronunciation or something like that. Before that, she wouldn't do it. And she had been here longer than she'd ever been in Japan. She she immigrated when she was like 23. She's been here longer. She's removed from Japanese culture to a degree now. So to think that she was still had to fear that is the barrier for me. So in that case, I don't shame myself for it, but I also feel like I've had enough time. I could have done more. It's just really tough because I haven't lived where I could have conversations in Japanese. So I didn't have anything to reinforce anything I was learning.
2: You know, I think that is the plight of a lot of children of immigrants because there's such a, and this is white supremacy. Mm-hmm. It's this idea of you must assimilate, you must mm-hmm. assimilate. And in order to do so, you need to make yourself as, we are going to say, American as possible, mm-hmm. but what we mean as white American white as, as possible.
0: possible. Yeah.
2: And, and I think the thing with that is we now, in addition to the layers that we already have to carry when it comes to being oppressed and dealing with racial trauma and stuff like that and race comes up in our every single day lives
1: Mm -hmm.
2: that doesn't happen for white people which 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 gave me more in my understanding of like oh that's why this feels like a lot for them which i can be understanding of but like you also need to recognize like it like It comes up every single day for us in some day, some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Like no one looks at either of us and goes,
0: oh, that's some white women over there. Yeah, never, never one time. And honestly, if it happened, I think I would be appalled. Like, I think my knee jerk reaction would be like, why would you think that I'm a good person? I (laughs) like I know that's terrible, but it's like I'm a person who deals with oppression on a regular basis. I don't want to be confused with someone of privilege. Because yeah. I can't walk that line. I know that I have privileges. I don't I have, say, yeah. you know, I don't have the ability well, to, to clarify for everybody. To clarify, right, know like, yeah. I know that I have advantages that I, that I probably wouldn't had if I was darker or if I was poor or whatever the situations, I know that there is a lot of things that I have an advantage over.
2: Cause technically we are closer to whiteness.
0: Yes. That being said, um, I wouldn't want anybody to have expectations of me that they would have of of white people, because I'm not going to do that stuff to them. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm not going to do the things even inadvertently, which I think a lot of white people generally inadvertently are problematic, you know, because mm-hmm. they don't deal with it on a regular basis so that when they are problematic, if nobody brings awareness to them, they don't realize it. I don't know how that's possible, but it is a thing. Because we are conditioned
2: to protect whiteness at all times. Yeah. And it's at the same ridiculous. time, then you get spoken to about, well, it offended me when you said this, <laughs> or you, you said all white people do that. It offended me. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> you know how often I don't tell you how often you offend me. <laughs> because the thing is, anytime you try to explain something that, that you know, they don't understand, you're just going to get lots of pushback questions. Yeah. And it's, it's 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 more it's like more hurtful to go through that conversation because then they they really gaslight you they make you feel fucking crazy so why do i have to allow myself to be traumatized just to i i don't need to be re-traumatized yeah Yeah. yeah, i'd rather just move on and and whatever but it's so hard to explain and the thing is is like we talk about being anti-racist like you need to really learn about that stuff and i'm not and and uh, maybe this is me (laughs) protecting whiteness but like where I'm not trying to say this in a way that's like shaming white people, but I think mm. there is something there's a problem. We're making aware that there's a problem. Yeah, I would say we could all work together to find a solution, but at the end of the day, the problem is on white people for the yeah. fact that
0: this system has been created in yeah. the first place. We can really, we can only raise awareness as 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 any kind of non-white other. We can only raise awareness because we're not even those of us that are in positions of power are not surrounded by similar people. So they're not in a position. They're not in the same position of power as somebody as a white guy or or something like that. So, yes, Uh, we we can raise awareness. We can tell you what books to read. We can even teach you classes. We can do all that shit. But if if the white people aren't the ones that are doing the work, we don't move that bar. They know that. Some of them actively know it. Some of them passively know it. And so that's why we still are having these conversations in 2020 that they were having in 60s, that they've probably were happening even during the revolutionary fucking war when they were trying to figure out if they were going to decide to let Black people be human or not. You know, like this, it it can't be on us. All we can do is be in the room and tr- and try to provide the awareness. That's literally how much power we have
2: but, yeah and at the same time like the emotional burden of then going through it yes. over and over and and sometimes like especially if you're working in if you're at work it's almost it can be almost impossible to have those conversations mm-hmm. without some sort of negative yeah reaction or negative um What's the word I'm looking for? Retaliation. Yeah. Not retaliation, and but like some sort of something. It, a it is a thing, uh,
0: yeah, a write-up or it could just be like, we'll remember that when raises come, you know, they haven't done anything worth firing over, but they haven't made me comfortable. So I'm going to not make them comfortable. Like there's a lot of underhanded things that can happen in the workplace that continues to leave you. And you feel like you have to go along with it sometimes Mm -hmm. because,
2: oh, activist Sophie gets triggered all the fucking time. But like, you really feel like you have to go along with it or else like, and I think it's, it's, it's a lot more hurtful too when it's, Mm -hmm. when there's other BIPOC voices in the room who do not advocate for those feelings and who also gaslight them and who also dismiss them.
0: Yeah. It is. It is a lot more painful that way. And and it's kind of like you almost don't even you're almost more afraid to address it with those BIPOC folks. (laughs) Then you're then you're calling them onto the floor of like whether or not you're doing enough for blackness or enough for, you know, whatever the category you're. And you don't have to make people be a certain way. That's
2: not at all. At the end of the day, work is work. And like you can just it's harder, though. It, it's soul sucking. Is that the yeah. word you use? Yeah. yeah it's soul sucking. That's exactly what it is. And then you think about, not only do I feel betrayed and invalidated, I also feel like I'm betraying everyone coming after me. Oh my God, I'm going to cry.
0: Yes. Yes. That, that is a, that is a whole ass thing of like, cause I work in HR. So, I feel like if I can't protect my people, and those can be all of the employees, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be divided by things, knowing that there's certain things that I need to overly guard for with people that are like me. If I can't do that because I have someone like me barring that progress, then I'm only failing. Like, I feel like I'm only failing in that respect. If my bar is a white person who, because of education or access or whatever is the reason why that one I feel like I have a better shot it looks so ridiculous that I feel like I have a better shot of getting them to understand than a person from my own category who is resistant to it and I know that I want to say that I believe they're resistant to it because of fear because of
2: it could be a survival thing survival it's lots of things and like you know you I can I can give grace for that but it's hard when you're like it's it's tough because you also feel like you're not getting any grace in return. That's, that is the thing.
0: When you, when you do this work, anti-racist work, uh, thankless, it's thankless, you know, work. whatever, like, you know, that you're doing it for the greater good. You hope you see it in your life, but you know that you don't get into this. You don't get into this kind of work lightly. You are doing it for the greater good. You're doing it for the masses and you're hoping you can see some of it, but you kind of have to set yourself up to not expect to see it in your time. You know, you need to see it work for other people, right? But you still still have to hold that hope. Otherwise, how else are you going to keep doing it, right? But when you see that there are people that could also participate in this game with you and they're just like, either making you feel like you're wasting your time or thinking there's just like, it's not worth it. Or just like- They choose to be sidelines.
2: Yes. They choose to be
0: sidelines. And, and they're they like- want, treating They're you trying like, to pull you to do it. Yes, because they're, we're raising too much awareness of them. Like, this is like the conversation. I had this conversation with a guest from a couple of weeks ago where it was like, you know, in, in the office, you notice the other mixed person and you're like giving each other the, the nod from across the room, but you're like, let's not be caught around each other. Because then if one of us fucks up, they're going to think both of us fuck up. You know, like, these are weird protective measures that we were doing. Like, there was a point where I used to have after-work dinners with the Black people at work because we didn't want people at work seeing us together. So we would have secret family meetings. <laughs> they're having meetings. <laughs> <laughs> but these oh, are ways gosh. that we protect whiteness that, like, feel good. Like it's so, it's so confused. How do you explain this to people? You said something about you, how it. How do you explain it? Like, it's in another want, color. You want it's to have these color. moments of solidarity. I want to have Asian soap lunches because we're on the same team, same page. And I want to feel it with you. Same yeah. time. I want to be able to not focus. Like I want to, I would love to know what it's like to go through a day where I am not unique where i am not an other to people to the people around me i would i would love to go through a day that that's not a thing where either my my womanness my blackness my asianness or my queerness does not come up i would love to have that experience but i really love banding together with my tribes too i don't honestly unique you know. need-
2: you need those moments because yeah. we're
0: we're gaslit
2: so often and invalidated yeah. so often and underrepresented and not, not seen so often. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is it's like for it's also like on top of that, we all have imposter syndrome being mixed. We then have an additional layer of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. We have all these situations that are happening, but then you also feel like I have lots of moments as an activist and as just like a person, the person that I am, where I'm like. Is this okay coming from me? <laughs>
0: yes, I know, I know that feeling too.
2: <laughs> you know what I mean? And and I'm like, all the time I, I just feel like I shouldn't like say that. And then like when you have another BIPOC person who like invalidates you on top of that, doesn't want to talk yes. about shit. Yes. And then it's like, well, if I'm not talking about it, I don't see why you gotta talk about it. Okay. I don't, okay I don't okay like, I was like what do you even say to that like I don't I mean that's your own thing maybe you should t- maybe you should deal with that like so I don't he-
0: <laughs> so here's what we need we need a we need a friend tree a text tree or something where it's just like I was invalidated by one of us today chopped <laughs> me off the ledge and we just sit there and like what well, we got you we're here for you <laughs> <laughs> it's hard
2: and then on top of that activism i was talking about it i think with uh, farzana do you know farzana she wrote um the multi-racial raising children. multiracial i haven't children. i need yeah. to talk i need to talk to her i haven't talked she's to her great yet, but... you should interview her she's great yeah but um i think i was talking to her and she and i had just mentioned something where you know activism is such lonely work yeah i imagine it's very heavy and very. You imagine you like do the work. Well,
0: I, you know how I feel. Like I'm still. It's also an imposter syndrome because I'm not a frontliner. Yeah. I I also feel like like the question but, you just asked. Can I even talk about this? Yeah,
2: but I'm not always necessarily a frontliner. You know, I I am. You know, we talk about yeah, the roles and stuff and everything, but like, uh, I mean, I I definitely I get on the front line. If I can, (laughs) I will. (laughs) Um, But like at the same time, like, um, you know, it's such heavy. It's like lonely work. Mm -hmm. And there's like really no, it is for the greater good, but there's really nothing that comes, like it's thankless. And I think of how many amazing activists who have changed the world, changed this country. Yeah. No one knows who the fuck they are.
0: Right. Because we what we got like a top 10 of people that were allowed to celebrate for their activism and any yeah. beyond that. Like, I mean, yeah. literally the the this is and we could go on for hours about this, but, um, you know, there's literally people who did the same thing that one famous person, the one person got famous for. But there were like five people who did it before them. But because this one's more palatable, this is the one that we remember. Um, and I'm specifically not saying names because I don't want to invalidate the work that the those people did. I'm with you. I'm but you know you. what I'm saying? Like there are literally yeah. other people that did the exact same thing, and they didn't get the credit, and they're not listed amongst the names of people who did this act. You know, this yeah. thing. Um, only to have one person become famous for it, and like, it doesn't make that work less important. But what it makes it seem like is that there's not as many people interested in change. There's not as many people bleeding. That's an amazing way to put it. Yeah. And I think that needs to happen. Like, don't just celebrate this one person who's walking in front of the pack. Celebrate the fact that there are hundreds of people in that group right there. Like, they're all doing the same thing that that one famous person is doing. Yeah, exactly. Their stories are important, too. Yeah,
2: exactly. And I think it's just, it is such a, such a world that we live in. Mm. Um, but I also think that, you know, at the end of the day, I think it is important to acknowledge that representation is important. Talking about mixed identity and like the layers to all of that is very important. Activism in general, like nothing changes if we just accept, like, had James Baldwin just been like, you're right. It's 1969. Yes. I'm not a slave. This is sufficient progress. <laughs> I'm good. No. Like, we things could always be a thousand times better. And it's not yeah. even just race that we're talking. Like, our healthcare system could be light years better. I mean, we're talking about millions of people losing
0: healthcare during a pandemic. Environmental justice is an area in which we could have so much more improvement. And the funny yep. thing is, this is what is so fucking infuriating. And I'm pretty sure you'd be with me on this is that if we change, if we improve those things that negatively impact people of color or queer folks or disabled folks, or all the different categories that are non white male, straight guy, who's in general health, it would actually improve life for them too. Yes. But they would rather be the only ones with improved lives than to let everybody like, what is the problem in uh, having everybody be great? Like, why is that, why is that an impossible thought?
2: Oh, uh, it's it's the same thing when people are like, well, if college were free, then what was the point? Well, I've already paid all my loans, so yeah, people so shouldn't what? get student loan forgiveness. Get the fuck out of here. It is so big. Be- like, how do you not know you're selfish if that is the stance that you have? How are you, like, you know we create this like just just, (laughs) it's not all for one it's just it's just me right here and like I ain't giving nobody a break like I ain't nothing nobody my grandparents didn't have running water that's fine people can live without it right right what it's literally like the bootstrap mentality (laughs) is such a fucking bullshit especially if you're talking about this country's history of the first suburb no
0: person of color could live there right yeah it yeah. <laughs> i know see the, okay so as an activist or a person that is trying to make change if you're sitting out there trying to make change and everybody's just like why eventually you're gonna be exhausted like so exhausted it could derail the mission right so we need yeah. to we need to join together we need to show people how important it is. And I think you and I both probably have seen because we've been doing mixed work publicly for a few years now. We can see how much more mixed stuff is available now that wasn't available when we got started. Um, yeah. Because, oh my God. Yeah. Right? Because somebody saw that you were doing it. Someone saw that I was doing it. And they're like, oh, we could do that. I want to do it. And I'm excited. Like, I'm so excited every time I see a new channel, a new Instagram, whatever the fuck. Like, Every time I see a new mixed one pop up, I'm like, "Ooh, let's see what that thing is." And it's not like we're all the same. We're not a monolith. Some people's focus on is di- on a different thing than the, the way I focus on it, or whatever. But it's the fact that someone has decided to to tap into their own mixedness as a way to create community, and I fucking love it. But we didn't have those spaces. We needed somebody to do it, and when we saw that somebody did it, we tried and. You know some that's why representation is important that's why not
2: not, that's why not gaslighting people is important Mm -hmm. that's why you know what i mean like there's just i feel like we've gotten some real meat and potatoes this episode (laughs) i love it (laughs) some real skiaki this episode we
0: got into the skiaki um (laughs) god damn now I want food so bad um seriously I just want to travel the the world with you eating food and talking about mixedness all the time um because I think it
2: would be and 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 I just want to say to your point like it doesn't make me tired because you know when you work in a setting where you constantly what what we just talked about where you constantly are like dealing with stuff and having to suppress a lot of things Mm -hmm. and not have conversations sometimes when you want to You need to have those outlets. And if there's one thing that I've learned in therapy, it's like, if you are taking away 20% of yourself, you have to find a way to put that 20% somewhere else. Right. And that's why I don't, that's why I don't mind. And, you know, I also want to say, like, you know, activists don't only just talk about this. I know we're talking about this stuff, but we talk about like everyone is different. Like if, if, if ever, if you like saw me in real life, you'd be like, who is this like <laughs> like food like shoving in her mouth like I constantly am cracking jokes about like everything like I'm like always like very like I mean I think activists get a rap of like being really cynical and really negative negative. and it's like yeah. at the end of the day like I I don't think if you knew me in real life people would be like oh I, I think if, if someone described me like that to somebody who like knew me in real life and like was around me and like, th- they would be like, Oh, that's not so flake at all. Like I'm there. I'm told I'm quite positive a lot.
0: Oh, really? Yes. Um, I don't have that reputation. <laughs> well, I have it where like on the show, people will say like, why you always talk that you're a pessimist, you always seem very hopeful and you're always helping. And I'm like, yeah, I want to help other people. That doesn't mean I need to be positive. (laughs) You be, go, you go out there and be great. (laughs) I just want, I just want to be here. I come much in (laughs) a shit. Oh my God. No, Um, I'm, I'm a very, like,
2: I'm, I'm optimistic. I think that we can innovate and create new things. Like I am very, that's, that's always my shtick. Why can't we think of a better healthcare system? You know, why does it have to be this or that? Like what, you know, and I think that, that we could all benefit from,
0: from listening to people who are like more open. I feel we like there's so literally many. Literally just copy somebody of the country's deal and it would work because it's working over there. Yeah.
2: I mean, like, I mean, kind of like what they did with apartheid, but not like apartheid, you know, because literally what they did is they looked at racism in every single country. <laughs> And we're like, how can we take bits from everywhere and make this the perfect racism? <laughs> and that's what they did oh, in my South goodness. Africa. But that's how can me. we do that for, you know, anti-racism. social issues, anti-racism, healthcare, universal yes. free college, all those things. Like, all how could things. I just don't understand the thinking of like, I had to pay for college. It's not fair. Or yeah. if you make college free, then what's the point? So you're admitting if we make college yeah. free, I guarantee you there's to be plenty of people who don't go to college. Right. And also like,
0: are we so opposed to education?
2: Like <laughs> is or are we so opposed to like giving like homeless
0: people a chance? Do you we know what I need mean? people to be poorer than us so that we feel good about not being poor? Like what are the things what is what is happening? What is it about your privilege that makes it hard for you to think that it would be nice if other people had the same privilege? If
2: you own property and you rent to tenants, wouldn't it be nice to make sure you always had an influx of tenants? Wouldn't it be nice to, if you have a business, you always need customers. If you own... It only just benefits.
0: They're like I don't, yeah, I don't it, get. It's like, it's like they don't feel that they're rich if other people are rich too, like or whatever privileged. Blah, 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 blah. Um, it's very confusing. I, I think Tony Tony Morrison
2: had put it best. She was like, "If you can only be big, I think she's used the word big. I'm a paraphrase, but if you can only okay. use big because somebody's on their knees, then you have a serious problem."
0: Right. Exactly that's a good way to button it <laughs> we've been talking for hello long and um hopefully we will one day turn this into some kind of um other podcast but i do like to ask everybody who comes on the show what they love most about being mixed mm-hmm. so now it is your turn to answer that question
2: Um, what do I love most about being mixed? I mean, honestly, I know we've done a lot of like woof about being mixed uh, on this podcast today, but, um, honestly, I think the biggest thing that I love is the fact that there's a lot of fulfilling things and a lot of multidimensional things that come with being mixed. Mm -hmm. And the idea that, you know, you have to already straddle this line of fitting into different spaces when you're growing up and in within your own household, mm-hmm. it makes it easier to flow in and out of groups and be um, able to be a part of a lot more things and a lot more communities as you get older. Because you are used to just being around right. different kinds of people and different kinds of opinions and different kinds of cultures. And it doesn't feel scary or daunting or so unknown that I don't know how to react to that. Okay. Um, so that's my favorite thing. I think it's made me the very social butterfly person that I am. <laughs> um, and it's also helped me in being able to be compassionate enough to be an activist because being an activist, you have to be you have very, to be very compassionate because you often deal with issues that obviously I'm not black. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I am wearing an Asians for well, Asians for Black Lives like Matter shirt. shirt <laughs>
0: Thank you.
2: Um, but, you know, I can understand racial oppression. I can understand yeah. bias. I can understand discriminatory legislation and laws. Mm-hmm. And I know how it's affected, you know, my people. Mm-hmm. And I, I've taken the time to educate myself and learn about how it affects everybody else. Yeah. And obviously I'm doing more learning every day. Yeah, but I, I think mean, that, the
0: fact that you wouldn't be able to understand other people's oppression seems odd to me. Like, just because you're not dealing with it the exact same way doesn't mean you don't understand the concept and would be appalled by that. And so and would want to do work, you know, like that's what is so bizarre to me. Yeah. And I also think also being mixed has given me that
2: perspective of, oh, there is no one way. Yeah. Cause I grew up learning All two the things. separate ways <laughs> that my parents do shit and view yeah. shit and think about things and what their, their mottos are and what their cultural tendencies are. Mm-hmm. And I know that you can, I know that there's more than one way to do things. There's more than two ways to do things. The sky's the limit. And I think that that has given me access in my brain to think, I think we can innovate better ways yeah. to help the community and help the people.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I And thank you for participating in the 12 Days of mixedness because I've really enjoyed the clips that you sent me. And just in general, like I said, I just like you. I I just, I just think you're dope. I don't know. I, I really fucking like you. <laughs> I think oh you so fun. <laughs> I like you a lot too. Thank you, Sherman. That means a lot. <laughs> I don't think people tell people that they really... Like, honestly, I don't think we tell people enough like... I, you know, I really like, fuck with you. You're cool. Like you're cool. I dig it. I and I I just I'm I'm making that effort because I want people to feel seen. Like I want, you know, like I want people to feel seen and I do. Yeah. I think I think you're dope. I'm glad that you're doing the work you're doing. For um, sure.
2: You know, I've gotten to meet a lot of people out here who are doing a lot of really great work, especially within the mixed community. And I'm like honored that they consider
0: me part of them. I mean, you're doing um, shit, so it's like don't invalidate yourself. <laughs> Thank you. You are too, girl. You want too. But also um, we're two Japanese people who are going to constantly invalidate ourselves. So. <laughs> it's not, an, I don't know. Yeah, always, whenever,
2: I, like, I always, like, there's so many, like, people who, like, reach out to me who have, like, podcasts and who have, like, and I'm like, I would go on your show, but I'm, like, too scared to say it. <laughs> So if you're watching this and you have a (laughs) podcast and you've been looking for a guest or you've been interested or anything like that, who say like, like I, I will most likely do your show. We'll talk about something (laughs) great.
0: militantly mixed is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me charmaine fury music is by david bogan the one you can follow us on social media on twitter instagram and facebook at militantly mixed